uh, I, I am I, I I don't know if this was part of the reason that God laid that on my heart to do, but I am going to. Uh, Last week I mentioned to you that I felt like doing this, and I know to some of you, and I don't know exactly why I feel like doing this, and don't necessarily have to, but I have a strong, uh, really strong push from the Holy Ghost here this afternoon to touch on this. And uh, I spoke last week just, telling, uh, just talking about doing this, have tongues ceased. It's just what I'm talking about, and I feel like part of what I'm doing or the reason we need this is because we have such a move within religion. I'm just going to make a broad statement here. Religion that uh, it's okay whether you talk in tongues or whether you don't talk in tongues. Uh, or, you know, it's not necessary at all. And I made mention about that last Wednesday where the, we are, we're having that within the church world. And believe it or not, more and more of this is beginning to creep into tongue-talking people. Um, and if you begin to think that one thing has stopped, then you'll begin to think everything stopped. Now, I've made this statement before. You take holiness out of a church, Jesus' name baptism will follow. You take Jesus' name baptism out of a church, the Holy Ghost will follow. And before long, everything else goes. You don't even have church anymore. You, you have to understand this is not something you pick and choose. The Bible is, and interestingly enough, we'll get into that in a moment, it is a perfect book, all right? It's not that which is perfect has come, but it is a perfect book. All right, so I, I, we need to understand that more than ever. We don't, we don't, I don't accept when someone says, well, it doesn't matter. I will tell you biblically, in short order, it does matter. Because this is your soul you're talking about. This is not something that is uh, optional. This is something you have to have. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. You will. There's no question about that. And, and you've heard people say this, and this is, I'm going to just touch a little bit on the history of this and, and go on down. And I'll read some scripture to you in just a few moments uh, where people have and actually came from the 16th century. And Calvinism uh, is actually where this John Calvin is, where this originated. Uh, and that's its teaching. And let me just let me give you it. It's called uh, cessation, and it just means something that has stopped. And when you hear me use the term cessation, then I'm talking about, um, you know, that, that the something that's where tongues, where they teach tongues have ceased. So it actually did originate with the likes of John Calvin in the 16th century. He said this, he said, The gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles, which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the new preaching for the gospel marvelous forever. Okay, now that's what John Calvin was writing. Now his teaching that the miraculous has ceased continues today. And one particular denomination really focuses on all of the gifts being over with. And there's one, I won't mention it, but it has, it, they do teach that. And actually, to some degree, every major denomination teaches it. 
to some degree. Now, not maybe as complete as some, but they do teach some of this. Um, and again, it's not just now, it's, it's a matter, it's not just the miraculous, but now it's expanded to cover speaking in tongues. Now, in opposition to Calvin's view, and now even though it may be from a Trinitarian perspective, there's another line of thinking. Now, I want, again, this is from a Trinitarian perspective, but it is correct in what he's saying here. He said, given the dearth of explicit evidence, it strains credulity to postulate a point in time whether the death of the last apostle, the end of the New Testament canon, formation, completion of the church, or whatever, that effects of dramatic mutation, I like the way he says this, in the Spirit's person and work so that he is no longer the power-anointing charismatic being he once was, but he's now restricted solely to his inner transforming work. In other words, what he's saying, that somewhere along the line, people believe that God has mutated and that he no longer gives us the things he gave the apostles. I just put that in Robertsonism there, okay, so you would understand it a little, little better. And that comes from a book called Our Miraculous Gifts for Today. Now, this actually begins our, our teaching, discussion, whatever you want to call it today, tonight, on whether the supernatural enablement of the Holy Ghost, and more specifically speaking in tongues, is available for today. Is it still right and righteous? When I, when I came into church... The one thing that I saw more than anything else, you didn't have to, you didn't have to tell me anything about the need for Jesus' name, baptism. I already knew it. I was baptized when I was 10 years old. I'd received the Holy Ghost initially when I was 13 years old. And then I got away from God. Actually, we moved away from God when I moved away and having a way to church and it just went the way it went. But I came back when I was 28 years old and the one thing that I knew more than anything else was that I needed the Holy Ghost. The other thing that I knew more than anything else, that I, when I received the Holy Ghost, I would speak in tongues. There was no question about that. I sought the Holy Ghost with all of my heart, and when I received the Holy Ghost, I spake with other tongues. And I felt the change inside of me when I spoke in other tongues. I felt the change inside of me. Now, we can say the Holy Ghost comes and you speak in tongues. Or does the Holy Ghost come when you're speaking in tongues? Regardless, you've got to speak in tongues. However you want to say, you've got to speak in tongues. That confirms what God has done in your life. Personally, I believe that when you start speaking in tongues, the Holy Ghost has come. Now, that's just what I, I believe. So, so it's just a matter of understanding that no matter what anyone else says, regardless of what anyone else teaches, what really matters is what Scripture teaches us. Now, let's, let's look at this just a little, a little further. Uh, those who believe that, that such gifts have passed away find themselves in churches that emphasize the supremacy and the perfection of the written Word of God or tradition over the spiritual gifts. Now, now follow me closely. Those who believe that such gifts have not passed away often find themselves overemphasizing excuse me, the work of the Spirit over the, the Word of God and tend to disregard tradition. If you understood what I just said there, sometimes you get into groups who emphasize the total tradition of God speaking through the person, and they take away the Word of God. Now, we're going to come back I'm gonna, uh, and, and touch on more of this, but the, the important thing here is that it, there is a balance. This book is hidden here under this. My Bible is a perfect book, but it is... 
also not something is telling me that the Spirit of God cannot work in an individual as long as that individual is under the authority of the Word of God, which places an authority, a pastor figure over that person, and they're willing to be instructed. You have to have someone over you, and that person had better be in the Word of God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this, and we'll come back just a moment to a little bit more detail, just so you'll understand the Bible, and I've said this two or three times already, the Bible is a perfect book. But the emphasis is on, in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, 8 through 13, that they say tongues and the miracles have ceased because that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. I'll read it to you in a moment. So they're saying that which is perfect is the Word of God. So we don't need miracles. We don't need God speaking through individuals because we've got the Word of God. That's what this group teaches. So then, do we have a problem with that? If, if that which is perfect, which I believe and everybody else that, that knows anything believes, is Jesus Christ when he returns to earth, if that which is perfect, does that do away with the perfection of the Scripture? And how would you argue that point? Go ahead. How would you argue that point? That's exactly right. Now let's take that one step further, and that was, that was excellent. We know that Jesus Christ is that which is perfect, and we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a moment. And we all know the, the Word of God is perfect, but you cannot understand, even though the Bible is, is perfect, we can't know all there is to know about God through the Scripture. We can know what we can know as human beings. Let me, let me give you a scripture here. I was, I was going through this, and this, this scripture hit me. Uh, it's in John 21 and verse 25, and it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So he's, John is saying it himself. You can't know everything there is to know about God through the Word because there is so much to know about Him. So then that can't be that which is... Because Paul said that when that which is perfect has come, it's going to do away with that which is in part. So we can only know. And he went on to say, now I see through a glass darkly. We can only know so much through the Word of God. Though it's perfect, it still doesn't tell us everything that we could possibly know. The only perfect way to understand this is for that which is truly perfect, which is God Himself, to come back. When God returns, then everything that is done in part, we won't need a Bible any longer. Because we're gonna, when He returns, we're going to be in heaven with Him. So it's just, it's just a matter of understanding that. So let's, let's take that just a little step further. I, I like doing stuff like this. I, I love this stuff. Uh, now, 
Uh, now, this is, of course, you, you know, this is a classic when I told you those who believe that gifts have not passed away often find themselves overemphasizing the work of the Spirit over the written Word of God and tend to disregard tradition. Now, this is the classic faulty dilemma that's easily unraveled by recognizing that God's Word is Spirit-inspired. The Bible tells you that these men were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. That's how they wrote what they did. Because they never would have, they could never have pinned one thing in this unless they were Spirit-inspired. So we go back to that again. So it's faulty in them thinking the way they do. So it's Spirit-inspired. It is possible indeed, Christian, to hold to the revelation found in Scripture and to the inspiration found in God's Spirit. One will never contradict the other. God's Spirit, as long as it never contradicts the Word of God, we can have revelation through the Spirit. And we never want to take that out of the church. If you take that out of the church, you will be bound by tradition. You will be bound by tradition. People will always emphasize something. And I, I, let me move on. We're going to run out of time. Um, <clears throat> let's just look at the belief in cessationism. Uh, so let's examine that belief that speaking in tongues is no longer for today. The viewpoint that the miraculous has passed is called, again, cessationism. Nearly all fundamentalists and most mainline Protestants hold to this view to one degree or the other. Cessationists teach that the spectacular works and the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles. The miraculous gifts that have passed away include tongues, prophecy, and other spiritual empowerments that rivaled the course of nature. Adherence to this doctrine generally held that although God is capable of working miracles, they are not normal to modern Christianity. Now, such viewpoints places the, uh, the God who gave birth to the church more in the role of a benign, absent manager rather than the head of the body. Outward signs of spiritual activity would then be presumed false or pretentious. And that's how a lot of people see it. You talk about to some people out there that are in some of your mainline denominations, you talk about a move of the Spirit, they will tell you that's where speaking in tongues being of the devil came from. It's from adherence to this kind of thing. They believe, even though you could show them in Scripture, they say, no, no, that was just for them back then. That's not for us today. Now only the devil does it. Now why would that be? You ever stop and think about how silly that is? God started it, now the devil picks it up. The devil must have liked it pretty well. <laughs> you know, that's just pretentious. And to such folks, Pentecost is only, only a day in, on the calendar. That's all they think Pentecost really is. What transpired at Pentecost is only a distant memory. Can you imagine that? That God would give them something and then hold it back from us? The doctrine rests upon a faulty understanding of actually one passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it to you. I talked about it. This is uh, the NIV version, uh, which is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. Uh, you can see it in the King James Version. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Whether there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Now notice that face to face. How do you see face to face with the Bible? 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul mentions three gifts, prophecies, tongues, and the word of knowledge. Now, these communicative gifts of the Spirit all involve the use of human speech with divine unction. Now, since the spoken gifts are used by flawed flesh, they are deemed imperfect. Think about it. Or less than ideal. When perfection or the ideal arrives, the less than perfect will disappear. That's That's their premise. That's what they believe. Calvin originally argued that the miraculous disappeared in early church history so that due emphasis could be placed on the preaching of the gospel. Later, fundamentalists would argue that the miraculous disappeared during, during the, or due to the closing of the canon of Scripture. Thus, the cessationist argument inadvertently draws strength from another trademark of fundamentalists, the inerrancy of Scripture, by saying that the completed canon of Scripture is a fulfillment of Paul's prophecy of coming perfection. Fundamentalists link both cessation and inerrancy in a seeming death grip. Fundamentalists often find it difficult to believe in inerrant, inerrant Scripture and in the ongoing availability of the communicative gifts of the Spirit. Miracles cease according to this viewpoint because the Bible was finished. That's where they get this from. And I, I may mention either. Bible's finished. Now all we need to do is to preach it. Brother Tony made it very, uh, said it very well a while ago. The apostles did preach the inerrant word of God, but signs followed them. God blessed them and showed through signs, that, and it still happens today. We have signs that follow. We had things that have occurred here during our prayer, during the little deal I talked about with my son. God gave me a word of knowledge that he would have a job in April, and God gave him. That was a sign following, showing that God is working in that situation. I said it. God said it through me, or actually, yes, he did say it through me, and and and. It happened. Now, what does that do? It builds faith. And that's just as much of a miracle as someone having a cancer fall off them down here in the front. We would like to see that. These things do happen, but it's still a miracle. When someone receives a financial blessing that you don't expect to happen, that is a miracle. You know, we keep wanting, and I want it as much as anybody else. I want to see somebody's leg lengthen. I want to see somebody do something, you know, their, their ears unstopped, their eyes, you know, completely blinded eyes open. I want to see that, and I have seen it overseas. We don't see it as much here. I have seen it personally. I know it still happens. And the way things are going right now, as far as the United States is going, and the way health care is going, we're going to have to see some more of it. We're not going to have any choice. They're going to have any choice whatsoever. Maybe that's what God is trying to do for all of us. Now, to support this view, cessationists point to history and say that by the second or third century, spiritual gifts had all but ceased. It was, however, about the same time, now look, listen to this, that the visible church began to teach that God's grace was di- dispensed solely through its agency and that God's voice could be heard only via its spokesman the word of the of the spirit was crowded the working of the spirit was crowded out by religious hierarchy but it managed to find residence in a few of these deemed heretics now if you note this is when this stopped that's when the church became a government 
It's when some big changes were made. It's when the Catholic Church actually came into being. And God could only speak through the hierarchy in the Catholic Church. Now, with that, so then the miracles, well, of course miracles will cease. I bet you they didn't cease. They just went underground. It's exactly where they went. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's simple. Now, uh, cessationists hold that the Greek word teleos translated perfect in the King James Version or perfection in the uh, NIV refers to the full canon of Scripture, the completed Word of God. And oddly enough, this is a viewpoint didn't gain prevalence until the 20th century when the modern Pentecostal movement began its sweep of the world. Cessationist pro- 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 proponents didn't... Boy, p- 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 get that going there. I'm going to start talking in tongues. <laughs> didn't bother to hide their feeling regarding the supernatural. Um, now listen to this. When John MacArthur Jr., at a book it was called Truth About Tongues, he said this. He said, at the tower... Now, this... I hate to even read this, but I'm going to. At the Tower of Babel, God confused the languages of men. The only other biblical incident that can rival the confusion of languages is the confusion of tongues at Corinth. They had so confused their understanding of the gift of tongues that they had substituted their reality for a satanic... Now, listen to what he's saying. Satanic counterfeit because of this. Paul had to write an entire chapter just to deal with that issue. Do you, did you get what he just said? Did you get that? A comparison of Corinth with Babel is a big, big stretch. A big stretch. The confusion of tongues at Babel with the zeal of Corinth borders on the incredulous, stating that the Corinthian experience was nothing but satanic counterfeit, swerves close to blasphemy. Now that's exactly, that is getting real close to saying that what Corinth had was a satanic counterfeit. That's close to blasphemy. You be careful making it. I don't care what you believe. You be careful saying stuff like that. And I've seen a lot of people go down some really rough and nasty roads because of uh, some statements they've made. Some of the greatest Greek scholars that have ever lived did not see the Greek word teleos as referring to the completed canon or the completed New Testament. In his Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, Thayer defined teleos as being the perfect state of all things to be ushered in by the return of Christ from heaven. Now that's what Thayer wrote about that particular word that they base everything they believe on. Now, that's what a Greek scholar said. Let's take it one step further. In the New Testament for English readers, Alfred explained that the word teleos refers to the Lord's coming and after. So there you see it again. And it's odd that the only scriptural basis for rejecting the validity of speaking with tongues is in itself questionable. And to put it more boldly, there is not a single verse in the Bible where the Greek adjective teleos refers to the completed New Testament. And that's simply when it says perfect. Where does it, where does it say that which is perfect is a completed New Testament? He made the statement himself. Everything they had and everything that they wrote from was the Old Testament. Or God dealing with them, which we know that's what it was. Yes, it is perfect. But it cannot, we cannot be perfect in the state that it is in simply because it cannot hold everything about God that there is to hold. Only when He returns can we sit down and ask Him about some things that we need to know about. It probably won't matter, but there will be a few things I would like to ask Him about. Maybe I won't remember those things. 
if I make it to heaven and I, everything's going the way it should be, the way I think it should be, you know, of course, you like that, I probably won't even care. I doubt any of us really will. Now, one can find in Scripture several times where telos, the noun form of the same Greek word, speaks of the consummation of the age and of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end, telos, noun form, end, come. So there we see the noun form, the end, when the Lord returns. Okay, of greater import than the writings of Matthew to the, uh, to this discussion is the opening opening chapter of First Corinthians itself in First Corinthians one seven and eight. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, Telos, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Confirm you unto the end, Telos, using the same word. Not only does telos refer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it also refers to Jesus himself. In Revelations 21, 5 and 6, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the telos, or the end. So it refers to him. That which is perfect is Jesus Christ. That's what the Scripture says. And again, maybe you folks have never run into this. I've run into this several times I've, where people would actually argue and they get on and, and maybe I'm sure you've come across it a few times. Uh, Brother Tony's a great debater. He is a great debater. And, uh, and he's, uh, you ever really want to know anything about Scripture? I'll give you my permission. Just go right to this guy here. And he, he knows... Well, I didn't say you knew everything. I just said you know something. <laughs> oh, I missed him being gone. You know, and I really have. I didn't have anybody to look at and give grief to Bob. You know, I just, not the same. He's got hair covering his head. Now, let's move on now. <laughs> oh, it bears noting that the, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus as the risen. Now, listen to this one. As the risen Christ who gives gifts to men. Provided Jesus remains risen, but not returned. You hear that? Gifts will continue to be given to men. So, he says, the, and notice this, I'm going to say it again. You, Apostle Paul describes Jesus as the risen Christ who gives gifts to men. That's what Paul said, Ephesians 4. Provided Jesus remains risen but not returned, then that means gifts have to continue or the Word of God that's inerrant just had an error. Then we know it doesn't. So that means that that which is perfect has to be the return Jesus Christ. It has to be. The Apostle, Paul, or Apostle John rather seems to concur in 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Perfection comes when we see Jesus as he is. Then there will be no there will be no more need for communicative gifts. We will see him as he is. We will know even as we are known. In other words, when Jesus comes back, returns for his church, 
There is no need for any of the gifts. Because when we're taken out of here, all that stops. It is completely a different age. There's no need. That which is perfect is a return Jesus Christ. Now, uh, well, let's look at, let's, let's go on one step further. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 are considered spiritual gifts section of the Bible. We shouldn't forget that 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter of the Bible. Now note that. You've got 12 through 14. They talk about the gifts. And then you've got 15, which is the resurrection chapter. At 1 Corinthians 15, 49 through 52. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Full knowledge comes with full change. Full knowledge comes with full change. Now, we can take that in the, in the area that I mean it for here, or you can take that if you're sitting back there and you're trying to figure this all out, but you've not received the Holy Ghost yet. Full knowledge only comes... Some people try to understand things without getting everything God has for them. I want to understand the Holy Ghost, and I will receive it. You'll never understand this until you receive it. You will never understand it till you receive it. When corruption gives way to incorruption, when mortality takes on immortality, then, and may I say only then, will we have no further need for the communicative gifts of the Spirit. The New Testament church began at the day of Pentecost. We, we know that with the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The early disciples spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And although the tongues described in Acts 2 differ in purpose from those described in 1 Corinthians 13, each one of them, they, they all originate from the self-same Spirit. You, now, one thing that you're going to get this guy to doubt big time, I will always doubt it. Doubt it, and I'll tell you to your face, I doubt it, and I have before. You have never spoken tongues, and you're out there uh, working in prophecy and word of knowledge, and you say you have a gift of the Spirit. How can you have a gift of the Spirit when you don't have the Spirit? You cannot have a gift of the Spirit without the Spirit. It'll never happen. <clears throat> Now, although I said, I, I said this early, uh, they each originate from tongue speaking is to accompany the church. Jesus prophesied this in Mark sixteen fifteen through 20. He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I, every time I look at that, I always come back. How many Bible studies I've taught through the years, and I'll, I'll get somebody looking at that, and I'll say, He that believeth and is saved should be baptized. I'll make them look at it. He that believeth and is saved should be baptized. He said, well, that's not what it says. I said, that's exactly right. It's not what it says. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You know, because you just need people to see it the way it really... You know, don't let them twist it around. Because so many times preachers will twist something around. Let them see it for themselves. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them 
him and confirming the word with signs following. That's what he just said. Now, I like that expression, they shall speak with new tongues. This is a sign that Jesus said would be prevalent amongst them that believe. Paul later said that believers should not be forbidden to speak with tongues and should earnestly desire to prophesy in 1 Corinthians 14.39. If anybody gets up and says you can't speak with tongues or that's of the devil, then you'd have to take them right there and say, okay, then we've got an error in Scripture. Because it says forbid not to speak with tongues. And you're doing something that's against Scripture. Is there something wrong with you? Uh. Get all fired up. I got to calm down. (laughs) Spiritual gifts are proof that the Lord is still working in His church. Several years after the birth of the church, Paul and the increasingly Gentile church were still speaking in tongues. Gentiles like Cornelius and those at Ephesus spoke with tongues in Acts 10 19. If tongues ceased, it wasn't heaven that caused it, heaven didn't cause it to cease. Jesus compared the blowing of the wind with the Spirit in, in John 3, 1 through 8. At the birth of the church, there was a sound from heaven, a rushing wind, which soon became stammering lips. Speaking in tongues is the sound from heaven to those born of the Spirit. Now, this is interesting. It's something, a little tidbit that I found. Some of you uh, that studied some history probably already know this. But in the, uh, in the Middle Ages, dark Middle Ages, let's, let's put it this way, churches had what was called... Holy Spirit holes. Now, these were carved into the ceiling of the sanctuaries to symbolize their openness to God. And on Pentecost Sunday, doves would be released through these holes. Bundles of rose petals would be dropped through these holes onto the people below. The choir and the congregation were instructed to make whooshing sounds to remind themselves of the moving of the Spirit. So instead of the real thing, they were up there going... Now, I, I've had people tell me that when the, the congregation said they heard, when several people got the Holy Ghost, they heard a rushing mighty wind. Now, I don't know about you. I, I never heard it through the church, but I heard it for myself. Now, you, you know, you can say what you want. In my, in my years, when I was receiving the Holy Ghost, I could hear a rushing mighty wind. And it didn't have to be somebody blown in my ear. Now, that's when you begin to take the reality of spirituality out of a church, and they're going to find some way to make up the difference, and it's never going to make the difference. It's never going to happen. Now, much of the emblems, the liturgies, the rituals were to compensate for the loss of the spirits moving in the church. And, and maybe this is the reason some would say that the communicative gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues in particular have ceased to exist, that they have ceased in their own sphere of influence. Oh, you know, because it doesn't happen to him that he says, well, it can't, well, you know, you can't get it because I don't have it. And that's where this comes from. Because people have such a problem giving completely, totally surrendering to God, then they believe that this can't happen because they can't have it. Anybody can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost when you submit totally yourself to God. You have repented of your sins. You don't necessarily have to have been baptized. You will need to be baptized, yes, eventually. But you don't necessarily have had to have been baptized to receive it. A lot of times they're baptized because it kind of helps them to get rid of more themselves and get out of themselves. It's all a mental thing. 
Everything is right up here. God uses what we have, the faculties that you have. God places words in your mind that will come out your tongue. And because you can't understand those words that's in your mind, you shut your tongue up. I can't speak that because I don't understand it. If you would ever just release totally to God, you would be surprised at what God would do with you. You would be totally surprised. And just get out of yourself. If you're kind of one of those people that, that, that got pulled back in yourself, you're, you're an introvert, just for, just for five minutes of time say, you know, I'm not going to be an introvert tonight. I'm going to be an extrovert. I'm going to just let go and I'm going to worship God and I don't care what anybody in that building thinks because the most important thing for me is that I'm ready to go to heaven. I don't care what anybody thinks I look like. I don't care what anybody thinks that I sound like. All I want to do is to please God and be ready for heaven. You know, Paul's approach to the church was not with eloquence of education, but with demonstration of God's Spirit and power. A lack of demonstration leads to cold denomination. It is often said the experience defines theology. Two groups of people who find it easy to criticize speaking in tongues are those who have yet to experience uh, it, 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 experience it, rather, those who have no longer experienced it. Either someone who has, has never experienced it or someone who no longer experiences it. I don't care how old you are, you never get too old to speak in tongues. Now, I know that it, it, it doesn't say you have to speak in tongues every day. I personally believe that a person should do as much as they can. I like to pray in tongues. I like to renew the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues again. I like to do it over and over again. Why? Because it just makes me feel good. I don't know about you, but there's just something about a brand new infusion of the Spirit that just lifts me up. Why not? Why not? You know, it's just yet when Scripture shows that an experience with God as powerful as the moving of the Holy Ghost is available, people should seek it rather than speak against it. Why not seek it? Why not get everything God has for you? Why not see the difference that it can really make in your life? You know, recently I read a story of a pastor who prayed that God would give both he and his church great power, and he felt impressed to read the New Testament through and to obey everything the book said. He only made it ten chapters when he stumbled upon the reason that both he and his church didn't have the power of God working in their midst. They had not fully obeyed God's word. Matthew 10, verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. Now that pastor suddenly understood why they never saw the miraculous. They had not freely received. All right? When one hasn't received, you have nothing to give. If you don't receive, you can't give anything. You're not going to pray for someone and see them healed if you don't have the Holy Ghost. You've not received enough power to do it. All right. I don't care whether you believe me or not. We are most familiar with Matthew's rendering of the Great Commission, but I like John's version as well. Look at John twenty twenty one through 22, and it says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Jesus still breathes on people today. And he encourages them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. I don't know why. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying Holy Spirit. I am so 
backwoods. You just can't. Uh, every time I think of Holy Spirit, I think of some charismatic guy with a sprinkly suit on. So I just have a hard time with that. I know that's silly. I know. Forgive me. But, you know, oh, receive ye the Holy Spirit. You know, you, know, you say ghosts scare half the kids away. Oh, i got to quit. Let me give you this. The perfect one hasn't come yet. We have yet to see him face to face. We still see through a glass darkly. When Simon Peter preached the most famous message on the church birthday, he recited from Joel's prophecy, and we know it by heart in Acts 2, 15 through 21. Joel's prophecy described God's Spirit being poured out until the time of the great tribulation when the sun turns to darkness and the moon to blood. The age of the Spirit will continue, according to Joel and Simon Peter, until that great and notable day of the Lord. Simon Peter told his hearers in Jerusalem that this promise was for them, their children, and to those generations afar off. Tongues have not ceased because Jesus has yet to return. He's still reaching people with his only saving gospel. Aren't you glad? Stand with me. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of adoration and praise. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I am so glad I'm in a truth-preaching church. I am glad that we got a congregation here that doesn't want to change it. They still believe it from one end to the other. You know, let's give yourself a hand clap. huh? Thank you, Jesus. Lord bless you. Shake some people's hands and you're dismissed in Jesus' name.